The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2022. I hope that you're all looking after yourselves, staying hydrated, eating some fruit and if you are in Edinburgh this week you have got your sunscreen on. It is hot. Um, Please look after your skin, Um, especially those of us who are Scottish. We can't... uh, we're not used to this heat and also this heat at the festival is a tricky one so just remember to stay hydrated if you've got a fan make sure and use it i hope you're enjoying all the shows let us know which ones you're seeing let us know which ones you're loving we would love to hear it today is another episode as i say of the festival series this one was recorded via zoom just before the festival began and um, i joined halfway through because i was still away in canada Um, and louise is talking to sally cairns and rachel o'regan of f-bomb theatre discussing their show the beatles wear a boy band um these two women are incredible really inspiring just another brilliant chat we are so incredibly lucky that we get to speak to all of these amazing human beings the beatles were a boy band is on at the gilded balloon from the 6th to the 13th of august so you've actually only got a couple of days left to grant to go and see it and it is on at eight o'clock um remember to um tag hashtag Femi Fringe of anything that you're seeing and indeed the Beatles are a boy band. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com and if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please send us an email. Tell us what you're up to. Um, you can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram and I am at Elaine.stirrit on Instagram and at Elaine.stirrit on Twitter. Oh, for today's episode... A nice cold beer, um, a slushy, a cold glass of water, or you know, it is always a little bit of a contradiction. But a warm drink does cool you down. So have a good old cup of tea if you want. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast, Sally and Rachel of F Bomb Theatre. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh, d- delighted. Delighted to have you. Um, so I'm just going to start with the first question from the very beginning question. Um, who are you? Tell me about F-Bomb Theatre. Because actually, I don't know, I'll be honest and say, I don't actually know a huge amount about you guys, other than that what I've gathered on social media, which I really, really like. So For our listeners, and rather shamefully for me, can you tell us all about FBOM, how it started, what it is, what your remit is? Give us the the history. Well, we all met at university, and how FBOM was sort of born was we were basically a group of young women that were quite frustrated by the roles we were sort of given at um, not just university but maybe in amateur theatre and things like that as well. We sort of felt that there was a real lack of complex female roles out there for us. We were often cast as maybe the romantic lead or well not even a lead just sort of the um side character I suppose where where there was a really good male character maybe and so we just sort of felt that we that our frustrations sort of were how F-bomb was born really and so um 
it started off with um, the actors in F-Bomb and then we reached out to um, Rachel who was on the master's course. We were doing a BA um, at university and Rachel was on the playwriting master's course and um, we also reached out to um, somebody on the directing course as well and we formed F-Bomb Theatre um, together to sort of really explore you know more complex female roles to give women a platform to be really proud of their work and yeah so that's how F-Bomb was born really so it started off as a student theatre company and um, last year we performed a show called After Party which we were delighted it sold out and it went really well so this year we are bringing a show called The Beatles Were a Boy Band to the Fringe and it's our first year sort of last year was our debut and this year is our first year sort of not being a student theatre company anymore and so we're finding our feet with that and it's all very exciting but very nerve-wracking as well. That's really interesting because that sounds like a very similar origin story to Persistent and Nasty that's how we began it was looking for uh, scripts or plays that we could read together as actors in our 30s that uh, platformed women in a more interesting way, in a more diverse way, and in fact, in a way that was more reflective of the real world. Um, particularly that because the group of us, uh, the founding members of Persistent and Nasty, were all actors in our, in our 30s, women in our 30s. So we were rapidly becoming very invisible to the industry. And then the step forward from that was discovering that the work doesn't really they didn't really exist there just wasn't a lot of stuff out there in the existing canon that um was uh, that spoke to us in a way that we felt uh, reflected our stories in a real way so yeah sounds like what you're doing is very exciting and it will be exciting for our listeners <laughs> um so tell me a little bit more. So I, how, what's your ensemble made up of? Like I, I, I was looking at your website and am I right in thinking you're just, you, you are an ensemble and you sort of share the, the creative load in terms of like making your work or is, are you the writer, Rachel, all, always the writer or do you, do you devise your work? How do you make it? Yeah, so I'm a playwright um, and we all sort of dabble in the producing side of things. Um, this is sort of our first year doing it professionally I suppose um so that's been a huge learning curve for us to just all sort of pitch in and learn how to do that kind of stuff and then the other three girls um act as well and then we sort of bring on people as we need them so we have an amazing director for this show Amy Amy Shields um and yeah like I feel like we're we're in a really good space where we're all really close and um yeah we're all on the same page but at the same time like it's really exciting to bring in people for a project and at the moment Rachel you're the playwright for the playwright for this show and did you write the last one as well yeah I did so I was brought on to be the playwright for after party and then yeah they can't get rid of me so <laughs> <laughs> and um given the nature of your work um is there is there an AD? Would you say that well, there's one person that's the artistic director, or are you just a proper coven and you all just muck in? Coven is a great way to describe it. I like that, but um, definitely we kind of all all muck in and things like that as well. Um, Rachel, um, Rachel's writing's absolutely brilliant, but what really works as well is she's not sort of the type of playwright because Rachel comes along to rehearsals and things like that. And sometimes people go, oh, what's it like having the playwright in the room? And Rachel's like not so collaborative. She's not super precious about um, her work in the sense of if she thinks a suggestion or anything like that might improve a scene or maybe develop a character a little bit better. Previously with After Party that was uh, whilst we did have a director uh, there was bits of that that were workshopped and um, people mucked in and you know developed certain ideas and it's the same with the Beatles were a boy band as well it's a pretty collaborative process and everyone's really open to each other's suggestions and ideas and nobody's sort of super precious about you know being the one in charge or the one with ideas She's so, nasty. so tell me a little bit about the first show the first show after party um can you talk to me a little bit about the, the themes and ideas in that show and how that came about and why you wanted to tell that particular story 
Yeah, so the company came to me at the time. There were five uh, female actors and I was really excited because I'd never written a play for all women before. Um, and I really wanted to write something that was relevant to conversations that are happening around me. And a lot of it was to do with like um, class and opportunities and um, sort of uh, the lack of aspiration that is perceived in in people who don't have a lot of money or resources. So that was sort of how After Party was um, conceived, but also I really wanted to do something quite funny. Um, and all the girls are like amazing comedic actors. So we just had a chance to like muck around on stage and, you know, be five teenagers in community service orange jumpsuits. So <laughs> that was um, super fun for me. But yeah, I think what we do well is um, having sort of serious topics, but approaching them in a light, accessible way. Um, because I don't know about you, but I, I don't really want to go to a theatre and sort of feel like really dark for an hour. Um, I like to hear a message and hear different perspectives, but um, I always enjoy if it's sort of packaged in a way that is easy to to digest, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to get preached at. Um, it's not the way to deliver a message, I don't think. I think you can stealth an important message into people's minds through making them laugh. So that's absolutely, I agree. I'm the same. I don't really want to go and be bombarded or reminded, in fact, of just how dark the world can be sometimes. Like, I know that. So just how are you packaging that for me in a way that gives me a bit of hope and a bit of light? Um, and it looked like a lot of fun. Like, I, again, I was I loved the jumpsuits and I loved I was looking on your website at um, stuff about about after party. It looked like an absolute riot. Did you guys take that one to the fringe last year? Is that right? Is that where you debuted it? Yeah, so we debuted it um, last year at The Space and it was really, it was brilliant. And whilst last year it was a quieter fringe and things like that, a lot of people were like, oh, it's not a proper fringe. But for us, for de like debuting as a company and having our first show, it was great because we actually managed to sell out, which in a normal fringe year, you kind of, it's such a sort of, you know, overcrowded market, the fringe anyway. And so by it being a smaller fringe, we were actually able to, you know, maybe come to the forefront a little bit more and it wasn't as sort of, you know, and as well because of the way Rachel does all our marketing and she's brilliant at it and all the marketing for After Party was very fun and lighthearted and all about coming to party. And I think especially after the, you know, year and a half to two years we'd had prior to that with COVID, it's exactly what people wanted to come to the festival to see. They wanted a bit of escapism and there was nothing about it that had, I don't think we had any references to COVID or lockdown or anything like that in it at all. So it's exactly what people needed. Oh God, yeah, like uh, anytime I get tweeted at or sent information on a show that has the words COVID or post-pandemic or recovery in it, I'm like, no, I don't, I, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I've got no more brain space left for that no, chat. <laughs> don't want it at all. People, people need, it's great to have a message and in the Beatles were a boy band and in After Party as well. After Party had a lot of sort of strong messages about, um, you know poverty and neglect and maybe you know different relationships with alcohol and you know people coming from a small town and their relationship with themselves and their aspirations and beliefs but because the comedy was so weaved in people it did have a strong message but it it wasn't like we were saying earlier it wasn't too preachy or anything like that and the Beatles were a boy band that does have very urgent sort of messages about um misogyny female safety um you know violence against women it has very strong themes but again because it's it's dealt with so tactfully and Rachel's writing is just phenomenal for that that um there's a lot of laughs in there whilst not obviously making fun of such a serious topic or anything like that but you definitely have those moments of comic relief that everybody needs and especially you know the world is so dark and it feels like at the moment there's just so much sort of 
um, there's so many things to feel stressed about, so many things to feel down about at the moment. And so it's great for people to come to the theatre, come and see our shows and get that bit of escapism as well. Gorgeous. Love it. Um, so this me- this means we have a perfect segue then for you to tell me all about the show. The Beatles were a boy band. Love the title. But like, I don't I don't know anything about the show. That's why I'm, that's why I'm pitching you guys. Tell me all about it so that our listeners can hear as well what this show is all about, because I love the marketing. The poster's so cool. Um, it's just really eye catching from title to graphic to like, yeah, I'm kind of already in before I've even heard the elevator pitch. So tell us all about it. Yeah. So the title doesn't really have that much to do with the show, to be honest. Um <laughs> I just thought it sounded funny and would probably annoy some people. So, (laughs) love it. (laughs) Um, That's sort of our ammo, just uh, funny, but also some people might get pissed off. Um, (laughs) And we're fine with that. Um, So, The Beatles Were a Boy Band is about three women and how they each differently react to. Uh, violence and the threat of violence from from men so we have Violet who's played by Sally um, she's like a party girl but she um ends up feeling like she can't walk home safely anymore we have uh, Daisy who's played by Lindsay Devers who's on our uh, cast as well um, and she sort of becomes motivated to be a protester and then we have Heather, who's played by Kirsten Hutchinson, which is um, a character who doesn't really feel the pressure to change her life whatsoever after this event has happened, which is um, the attack of uh, another woman in an area near them. So it's about how they each differently react to this event and the different um, forms of violence as well. So we have obviously stuff like being attacked but also really like nuanced um insidious comments and and like internalized misogyny um and I guess what we're questioning in this play is how we can actually tackle the the in quotation marks big stuff if we can't actually look at the small stuff that's going on underneath if we can't um you know, cut it down at the root, then how are we ever going to end violence against women? So that's what it's about. But as Sally said, it is really funny. I think the way that we sort of deal with trauma sometimes is to just sort of laugh about how crazy the world is and um, the friendships and relationships between the characters in the show are really special. And I'm really excited to bring that like female friendship to the fringe this year. Oh, I love that. So there's, there's three, uh, three characters, so three actors, as well as three hand, basically. Yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love that. I love the sound of that. Uh, I'm very intrigued though about the decision. I'm still trying to like work back how you got the title. Is it literally that throwaway? It's just like I'm going to stack this title on here and <laughs> just. I can tell you the whole story of how I got the title. Well, will I spoil it? Will it it be a spoiler? No, no, it's not a spoiler. Um, (laughs) Basically, last year, After Party got, like, a few critics that were talking about how um, there was too much teen angst in the play. And as Sally has said before, there were some really heavy topics in this play, but we sort of got this sort of invalidating comment of, like, oh, the teen angst, Um, and that kind of annoyed me. And I got to thinking about, like, you know, how girls who were fans of the Beatles were invalidated and how they were, like, the first fan base of the Beatles, but they're not really credited as that. Um, And I was just like, wow, this is just one example of how women um, are constantly belittled and invalidated and told that their opinions and what they like doesn't matter. So all throughout the play, there's things like, um, Twilight, Gilmore Girls, Taylor Swift, um, Love Island, <laughs> that, you know, are stereotypically things that girls love. And we package that into the play because we're like, do you know what? We're just going to make it unapologetically feminine and like force you to take all of this seriously, like the whole thing. We're not going to pretend to be anything that we're not. So 
yeah, that's that's how it came about. And also, I just would love to hear people say it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love that. And that's kind of what I was hoping you would say, because it's fascinating to me um, how particularly things that teenage girls love are so consistently invalidated when the market for that is the thing that everyone's trying to tap into to make all the money, like the Twilights, the, the repackaging of Harry Styles, One Direction originally, like these huge phenomenons where the foundation of making them a phenomenon was the rabid and passionate like love teenage girls had for this thing. Because no group of, no demographic loves something as much as the, the, the teenage girl demographic. They love it deeply, passionately, with every fibre of their being and soul. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And to invalidate it is not only like hurting your market and your market share, it's, it's, it's creatively and intellectually, uh, you know, stunted. Um, so I love that. I really, really love that. And I hope, I hope there's, I, hope it's, I do hope it's chock full of that stuff because I hope there's like opportunities for fangirls across the French to come to this and be like, yeah, I do love that. And that's fine. And that's good. <laughs> no, there absolutely is. And we've got lots of sort of, we've got all your, so many pop culture references we've got lots of great music sort of throughout the piece as well we've, we've got your one direction in there we've got taylor swift um we've got sort of marina and the diamonds we've got lots and lots of sort of real um good sort of pop artists in there and things like that and it is like rachel was saying it's unapologetically feminine and um you know we we feel like that that is who we are as people and also that and there's nothing wrong with that I feel like so often whether it's teenage girls or just women or or anyone that sort of engages with whether it's pop culture or boy bands or whatever it is they feel like they need to justify themselves or they feel like they need to sort of um they almost start belittling themselves as well by sort of being like oh, oh but um oh he has got a couple good songs or they've got this or they've got you know whatever it might be whereas it's like just if if that's what you like that's what you like don't even worry about it it's totally okay no 100 and i think it's um it's fascinating how unapologetic particularly teenage girls and and younger preteen girls are about what they love and and how over time and into adulthood adulthood and then that can get sort of trampled out of them in the ways that they're in a thousand ways in which women are made to make, make themselves smaller or less excitable or less passionate about something. And that it kind of goes hand in hand with all of the different ways where, that that takes place, um, which then, as we know, uh, go hand in hand with, with the violence that then that our, our, our gender tends to be subject to. Um, so just we'll come back to the show in a bit, but I'd like to talk a little bit about French. Are you guys behind this? Rather ingenious idea? <laughs> uh, you, yes. I mean, I can't take <laughs> the credit because it was partially this troll Twitter account <laughs> that kept commenting on every single fringe thread saying that there was too much feminist theatre in the fringe and was saying I love how everything seems so far. You're like, well, do you know what? This is a response, and this is a fuck you to this moment. And like, I like how you're just like trolling back through your creativity and your marketing skills. It's great. Yeah. So clearly, I can't let anything go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just been an amazing sort of like outpouring of support and solidarity for all the um, artists in the fringe that you know are. Uh, for shows that are led by people of marginalized genders. Um, and I think that's something to celebrate, which is why I took his hashtag and turned it into something celebratory. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not used it since. <laughs> Interesting. Funny that. So he used the, the hashtag Fenafringe first and you just caught yeah. yeah, he was commenting it all the time. And it became like a running joke in our theatre company, which is like, oh, it's that guy again. Um, <laughs> and then one day I was just like fed up and I was like, I'm just going to take this on. And 
um, thankfully, the people of Twitter like just went with it and were so on board. And now it's become like people are making maps and um, trailers. And then there's like a neurodivergent fringe and like a queer fringe. And it's just amazing. Like I couldn't be happier with how that sort of become its own mini movement. I love it. And now he's got so much content to go through. Like what, you know, what he's just, he's been handed, the original tool's been handed a fringe schedule of things. He doesn't even have to work at it now. Look at that. Yeah. So I'm making a program actually of like all the shows so that we can just like have it on our phone and click on the links and they're all in one place because there are just, there are many uh, feminist non-binary women shows this year and I feel like that's amazing we should definitely celebrate that 100% that's really exciting yeah I saw your um it was like a little calendar graphic it was very beautiful all of, you, all of your content and your 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 brand identity is all very lovely and very eye-catching um but you had like it looked like a essentially you gave people their Femme French bingo card I think because it was a beautiful little <laughs> calendar graphic just marked them off yeah I hope that like I hope someone goes to see like all of those shows in a row that would be amazing that would be amazing you just yeah cross them off uh, over the course of your whole month um yeah that is really really cool and I just uh I do really enjoy the it's just a great little troll back uh on on both counts the sort of you touched on it with the naming of the show and then again with this it's just it's a great way to sort of um just go okay cool yeah here you go have have as much of that as as you know as as we are willing to give out it's really it's it's good I like it a lot um so tell me a little bit about your ambitions for this show and for FCOM what's what's the goal what do you guys hope to be doing Well, definitely our absolute focus at the moment is um, getting tickets sold and things like that for <laughs> this fringe. So that's sort of our first and foremost. Um, we were incredibly lucky. We got um, sort of crowd matched with um, Creative Scotland. So we were involved in their crowd match uh, fundraiser. So we basically would raise funds and they would sort of match whatever we had raised ourselves, which was great but sort of looking forward to the future it would just be really great if, if people could come and support FBOM by you know buying a ticket and coming to see our show because it is really you know theatre and everything it's 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 hard to sort of get things up and running these days and things like that so the best thing sort of people can do to sort of help us with our sort of future plans would be to come along and see this show because we are in a much bigger venue we did sell out last year um we were in a sort of 90 seater last year for 12 performances but this year we are in we're doing a slightly shorter run it is it's seven performances isn't it is my maths right it is seven performances no Eight. I think it's eight. It's eight, isn't it? Yeah. I knew that I was I was saying seven. I'm getting confused because it's a week kind of week-long run, but it's eight, eight performances. So we're doing eight performances all at eight o'clock at Gilded Balloon Patterhouse, which is uh and we're in the big yin as well, which is a 250-seater. So it's a much bigger venue this year. So a lot more pressure, but we're really optimistic about it. And um, so sort of definitely our focus is on the fringe this year, but certainly we would love to sort of take the Beatles were a boy band maybe to some other venues in Scotland as well we know that the fringe can be really expensive for people and travel and things like that not everyone the fringe isn't accessible to everybody so we would love to take the Beatles were a boy band to maybe some smaller communities in Scotland as well and um, as we said before the Beatles were a boy band it has such an important message that we think is really important for everybody to sort of engage with. So to explore um, sort of our options with taking the show on tour and taking it to some smaller venues across Scotland, that would be absolutely amazing. But um, in order to do that, we need everyone to buy tickets for our show. So, <laughs> Yes, please, everyone do buy tickets. Um, Sally, you're in the show, right? Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of your process? And if you have to dive away, I'm conscious that you might um, have to pop off to go do your... I think I've got about five to ten more minutes. I'm good for now. 
Fabi, okay, cool. You can just you can give me a wave or, or just indicate at any point you need to just you need to uh, dive away and that'll be fine. But in the interim, in the meantime, it would be lovely to hear from you in your capacity as an actor um, in the show and um, a bit more about the part you play and that character's journey um, and where it intersects with you as Sally, the person, the woman moving through the world. Um, yeah. Well, what was um, really interesting about the Beatles were a boy band is Rachel wrote it and, um, you know, she sort of told us, she was like, I've not got anyone in mind in particular for these characters. We'll read through it, see what happens. And then we all read the script. So myself, Lindsay, Kirsten, uh, the actors in the piece, we all read the script and we just really all identified with one of the characters and I think at first we we're a bit shy to sort of be like I really want to play this character I really want to play that character but eventually I think it was maybe Kirsten that said I really see myself playing Heather and I was like well Heather is who I pictured Kirsten playing and it actually just worked out that with um we all pictured each other playing the roles that we are now playing ourselves and we wanted those roles anyway so it was actually really nice to have that open dialogue with each other being like what role do you want to play and what role do we picture each other playing and it actually all worked out really well so whether or not Rachel sort of had in mind of who would be who or whatever we're not you know still not sure maybe it was a subconscious thing or something like that but straight away we were like no this this totally is our casting and it works really well um Rachel briefly mentioned earlier my character is called Violet um she is a party girl she is a waitress she um is quite sort of free-spirited she loves to make friends on a night out um but as sort of events throughout the play happen she increasingly becomes more aware of her surroundings more frightened of her surroundings she becomes almost like quite introverted which is very different from what she was like at the start so there's a very sort of strong arc for all of the characters to be honest and we see how you know similar the events can affect um different people and women in particular it affects everyone very differently um and so violet is quite she's similar to me in in some ways i mean um i was a waitress for years and things like that i absolutely loved it and um obviously I feel like with working in hospitality comes hand in hand with sort of going out quite a lot and having quite a good social life because you're working later and everyone maybe has a cheeky wee drink after after like your shift or whatever. So yeah, definitely Violet is quite similar to me in that sort of way, but it's just such it's such a fun environment to be in because we in rehearsals we're constantly um, we're constantly playing sort of music and like we mentioned we've got Taylor Swift in the show we've got One Direction in the show and things like that so we'll constantly just be playing music in rehearsals and I feel like that helps me get into character and that party mindset of Violet as well so that's always good fun. It sounds like so much fun and I think um, it's a, a really interesting uh, journey for a character like that I think and that'll be, I think that'll be really resonant for a lot of people coming to see it. I think this idea of kind of, you know, especially when you're younger and you, and you touched on working in hospitality there, Sally, which is something I did for a really, really long time, many, many years. And you, there's a period of time, I think, in every young person's life, women, men, you know, regardless, where you kind of feel invincible. But there's something... I think women in particular and other marginalised genders and, and vulnerable demographics encounter this, something will happen or an external trigger or trauma will happen on the periphery and something shifts and it changes how you interact with the world and how you view the world. And sometimes people go like hell for leather in the opposite direction and it's like very like, no, fuck you. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. But in other, in other aspects, there is a, there can be a shutdown response. And I think there's something kind of like, tragic but beautifully resonant in that that I think that like I can I can already sort of relate to that a little bit just in your description of it so I think it'll be quite resonant for audiences as well um so that sounds like a really prescient thing to be exploring in the show um which is you know it's, it's relevant it's relevant as 
now, now tragically relevant now as it ever was. Um, but let's say hi to Elaine because she's just popped in from Toronto. Hi. hi. I'm actually on Vancouver Island now. Vancouver so Island. Just like, <laughs> you know. And I just wanted to come and say hi. And I'm just listening to the end of that and very excited by it all. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm super glad that you're both on the podcast. It's very exciting. <laughs> do you have any questions for the gal? Are you here for, are you here for a good time, not a long time? What's, how long do we have you? Probably about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And I don't know what you've covered, though, so I don't want to repeat anything. Well, we have covered the show. We've talked about um, the company itself, which was very exciting um, because they have a very similar origin story to Persistent and Nasty, which is oh. very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we talked a bit about the show. Um, and we talked a bit about Femi Fringe. These guys uh, are spearheading that. And, and it's a bit of a fuck you to the trolls, which is we love. We love hearing that. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Love. What is, what's the reaction been to that? If, if you've not already covered that, what's the reaction? Are you getting loads of positive? I think we could go into that again. We touched on it a little bit. We, we talked on the origin of it, but like how how it's like, and, and you mentioned, Rachel, uh, that generally you've been quite um, pleased to see how people have been engaged, engaging it in a positive way because people haven't been picking up and running with it. But I'd be curious, have you found any more trolls? Just to like dig into Elaine's question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has snowballed and it is amazing to see so many people, you know, retweeting hashtag Femi Fringe. My phone has not stopped going off since I posted that calendar. Um, I don't know about the trolls. There was one person who had some annoying transphobic shit to say. And I think we just blocked that person because no one needs to see that. Yeah. Excellent. And also, like, with the, with these kind of people, they want a reaction, right? That's what they're doing it for. Because most of the time they would never do this in real life. They would never say these things in real life. So they want that reaction. So just ignoring it and blocking them is the best thing. So for everybody listening, when the trolls appear, block, 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 and scroll on. Um, so the, the kind of reaction to it, have, have Anybody kind of got in touch with you that you were like, oh my God, I never thought like, like real kind of like, oh wow, really admire their work, anything like that? Um, there's been quite a few people on our Twitter threads that, you know, I really admire their work, like Isla Cohen, it's an amazing playwright in Scotland. Um, yeah, there's just Debbie Cannon as well. Just so many people that I'm like, I wish I was your playwriting friend and like maybe <laughs> closely um, starting to get there. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it can only get stronger and, and grow bigger. So um, yeah, it would be great. It's really exciting. I think it's brilliant as well. Um, I guess if Louise hasn't already covered it, because she's a pro and she probably has, but um, what was both of your journeys into I mean, I can't believe I just used the journey word. That shows you how tired I am. Uh, it's a much better word what's your pathway into the industry how did you start like where what was your inspiration when you were was it always something that you wanted to do either of you can answer first whoever wants to go Sally's unmuted straight in I'll quickly go because then I'll I'll need to hop off after this but um I'll, I'll quickly answer but yeah my sort of pathway into the industry was um I sort of actually did a lot of singing and stuff like that when I was younger like I did a lot of um I was in choirs and I was in sort of um competitions like um singing in particular Scottish music like burn songs things like that so it was actually music was sort of my passion first and then it was only once I got to secondary school that um sort of discovered drama and I was like oh this is quite this is great and I loved it so it was sort of through drama and then um left school went to Edinburgh College to study acting and performing absolutely loved it then I left and I graduated from there and then sort of got an agent and things like that and um 
then sort of about three years into sort of trying to be a sort of proper actor or whatever you want to call it I then sort of discovered that I whilst I loved sort of acting and performances and stuff like that I was like I actually don't know if I want to be an actor because I found that um the auditions and the rejections and all the money you have to spend on traveling to auditions and all that sort of stuff it was actually really sucking the joy out of it for me so then I went back to university and I've actually just graduated as a um, teacher so I'm actually about to start teaching so definitely I've had like a very sort of um I feel like the the journey of like when you sort of do a cr- sort of creative job or when whether it's acting or a musician or anything like that I always feel like there's never a sort of straightforward path and for me I just love creating my own work and that's why I love doing f-bomb and working with the girls so much because it's like oh yeah you don't have to do all these additions and get rejected and um be told you're um to this or to that or not enough of this or not enough of that and so that's why for me I can sort of I can be a teacher work a full-time job but also um I get to explore my passion with f-bomb and work with you know work collaboratively with everybody in an environment that's really fun and dynamic and interesting um because we we touched on this earlier but just so many of the roles I was offered or so many roles that are just offered generally for women are sort of either love interests or they're maybe just a bit two-dimensional and they're not that exciting and I just love that we get to play these great complex roles and especially with the Beatles were a boy band um the characters are actually sort of similar ages with us so um, I'm 25 and I've actually never played a role that's the same age as me I've always played someone that's in their late teens maybe early 20s or someone like much much older so maybe if you do Amdram you're playing like the mother or the grandmother or, or something like that whereas I feel there's a real lack of roles for women sort of just between the ages of probably like 25 to 45 there's just like hardly anything out there and so it's just great to sort of you know be in a place where it's like oh I can I'm really enjoying theatre again and I'm really enjoying acting again because I'm able to relate to the characters and I'm having fun playing the characters and it's 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 so nice and it's such a nice environment for us all I love that I love it yeah um, I think so. What Sally's touched on there is really uh, interesting, that kind of idea of uh, the rejection and the additions. And I think most people who are performers will uh, totally understand that. And the question, the loss of it when she said, I didn't feel the joy in it anymore. Like, I was like, no, but it's so true. You go through, I definitely have gone through phases where I'm like, oh, where is the fun and where is the love for this? And I think that's a real thing that maybe the industry needs to kind of relook at how we manage all of that. And there must be an easier way to do it, right? There must be a more, what's the word I'm looking for? Caring way to do it. Mm. I think it's also the other thing that Sally said, maybe Rachel, you can speak to this as, as the writer of the show. As actors, Helene and I are both actors for context of, uh, you didn't know already know that. Um, so it's one of those, so like the lack of joy thing really resonated with me as well. Like, yep, I hear you. Um, but what I also was struck by what Sally just said was this idea of like, when you're navigating the industry as an actor, um, particularly as you get older, you're just like constantly up against like, well, there's only certain types of women that seem to exist in the stories that we're telling right now. There are the, like like Sally says, young, nubile I'm just going to be frank, fuckable love, love interest or the quirky best friend or the or the fat, funny best friend or or the old mother or crone or hag or whatever. And like women in particular, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen to uh, lots of other people too, but um, for cisgendered women, it tends to be the case that um, we're visible in, in archetypes only. And that's really fucking dull. <laughs> Um, and presumably, hopefully, a bit dull when you're a writer as well. So I was just wondering, Rachel, like as as a writer, in terms of not just the Beatles with a boy, we're a boy band that you're working on right now, but 
but maybe your future aspirations for the stuff that you've got maybe bubbling away in your head. What was your take on that in terms of characters and archetypes and stuff? I think that my characters are sort of growing with me. So, I mean, I did write Art of Pai when I was, gosh, 26, 27. And so the characters were like 10 years younger than me. But like, what even is age? Like, <laughs> so, um, and then right now I'm writing characters that are closer to me in age. And I feel like as I'm learning, I'm just writing women that I see in my life. Um, and I feel like as I get older, that will probably just continue. I mean, fingers crossed. Um, but I do feel like Sally was talking about the age pressures in the industry but that does carry over to playwriting as well I once had someone tell me that if you haven't like been a success by the time you're 30 that like it will never happen for you um and I really just resent that completely um I don't know why we have to put these sort of time pressures on on success in the creative industries because um it's ridiculous and I think it's classist as well it's ableist it's it's like giving people who have all the privileges in life even more of a privilege <laughs> so um all these sort of focusing on you know under 30 under 25 I would really love to see the industry stop doing that 100% yes. So, like, yeah, Elaine was like, oh, because, because you're listening to the podcast, folks, you didn't see Elaine just, like, frantically, like, agree <laughs> with her entire body during that. I know, as soon as, it, it, but you're right, though, it is completely classist and ableist, and it is, again, about making sure that the structure doesn't change, and I think there's a big thing about what you're actually missing when you continue to do that. You're missing out on amazing stories of true stories that are actually far more interesting to our audiences because that's what yeah. reflects them. It takes a lot of time and a lot of resources and a lot of freedom to get to a point in your life where you're you're putting out art, you know, and like getting to a space where it's like it's your voice and it's the quality of it. Um, so obviously the people who, you know, storm ahead and are the 30 under 30 success stories, you know, a lot of them are white, able-bodied, cis, um, middle-class people, and that has to change. Totally, because it's the only way to really believe, if you believe that, you're coming from a perspective where you're like, this is the finite amount of time that you have to get successful and be winning your awards and be quote-unquote established whatever that means and it has to happen before you're 30 it's like so so what you're telling me is that you have no other real things sucking onto that time pressure there's nothing else in the mix there that you need to worry about whether that's uh, money or caring responsibilities or getting on the housing ladder or working multiple jobs which a lot of people have to do to sustain at all never mind in this industry so it's like that's what you're telling me with that so you've not only got a limited perspective like Elaine says you've shut out all of these other potential you don't you don't you can't have them in your orbit clearly in your head which suggests to me that you might not be the most interesting writer in the world but maybe that's me just being a little bit flippant <laughs> yeah I I find I'm a lot of my friends who are sort of getting closer to the scary age of like 35 um uh getting really depressed and beaten down by it um and it just sort of breaks my heart a bit because I I know it's it could it could be so different um if the industry was just ready to to change itself <laughs> well first of all you go back to the friends and you tell them that they're very young and it's fine um because yeah it's um like you say age doesn't matter it's just a number and your 30s are young and I just I also have this really like really big bee in my bonnet about that stuff because I'm also a bit like I didn't figure out my voice until I hit my 30s that was when the stuff I wrote started to get really interesting and I was able to hone in on what it was I wanted to say because I'd, I'd figured all that messy shit out from my 20s. And, and that's just that's just who I was. I've, I've met plenty of other people in their 20s who stormed ahead in, in that 
area because they, they just were different from me. I was I was a mess in my twenties. Some people aren't. Um, everybody's journey, Elaine, I'm using the word journey, is different, and uh, it, it should like um, an age. What age you are should be a marker of that, or or represent any particularly relevant milestone. I don't know why it should. It's mad. It's kind of mad, really. It's also though this thing about this industry and how it um, perceives success. And we've talked about this before and, you know, <clears throat> if you're not at a certain level by a certain point, as we've said, then that's not successful when actually there are so many different variations of what success looks like in this industry. And that can be creating a, a company, that can be creating an advocacy initiative, which started out not as an advocacy initiative at <laughs> the podcast, but, you know, it's like, everything or the fact that you are getting up still every day still choosing to do this because that's the thing you're choosing to do this and you're still going to additions or you're still writing whether or not you are getting the jobs quote unquote the jobs you are still an artist and you are still doing it that's success yeah sure is um, anyway, sorry, that was my you know. Yeah. She just she comes in halfway through the podcast and like chucks in our song. No, it's all good. Well, we actually have four minutes left, um, so I just want to make sure that we have definitely underlined three times uh, the show and where people can see it. Rachel, you're the marketing genius, uh, so give us the spiel one more time so our listeners definitely know where they see it, how they see it, all of that stuff. So the show is called The Beaches Were a Boy Band by F. Theatre. It is coming to the Gilded Balloon Patahus uh, Begin from the 8th, no, sorry, the 6th of August until the 13th um, at 8pm. And yeah, there's tickets are like, I think, 13 quid and they have two for one days as well. So come on one of those days and get a free ticket. And um, if people want to follow you on social media, which they should, because your content is great, um, how do they do that? Agreed. Uh, we're F Bomb Theatre on everything. On everything, great. Uh, and and people should also probably follow that hashtag hashtag semi fringe. I think as well. Yes. Lots of Absolutely. good stuff going on over there. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, Elaine, since you joined us, do you want to yeah. frame the final question? <sighs> Yes, your part. Um, <clears throat> so Rachel because for listeners um, Sally had to go Rachel what does the term persistent and nasty mean to you yeah it means having courage in your convictions and I also would say like radical kindness I love to see like support and just love coming out into the world from women and um, underrepresented genders everywhere so Yes, yes, yes. So Again, <laughs> listeners can't see it because I'm like doing my hands and all of that, but yay! <laughs> Absolutely. That's lovely. Um, well, it was an absolute pleasure to chat to uh, you, Rachel, and Sally, um, and hear all about the show. Sounds fantastic. Everything you've got going on looks fantastic. Um, love your brand, love your ideals. It's uh, very exciting. I hope that F Bomb Theatre some strength to strength and you have a fantastic run because you really deserve it You're, you guys are working your socks off so you deserve to have everybody come and see you and celebrate your success with you f-bomb theater thank you so much for being on the persistent and nasty podcast and until next time lovely listeners stay nasty stay nasty, stay nasty.